Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Debbie Mirza. She is a restorative coach, author, singer, songwriter, but she is the author of an amazing book that a friend gave to me to check out that I found amazing called, here we go, I'm going to say it twice, The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist, Recognizing the Traits and Finding Healing After Hidden Emotional and Psychological Abuse. And Debbie has helped thousands of people around the world understand the most hidden an insidious form of narcissism that is currently affecting millions of people without them even realizing what they're dealing with. There's so much to get into this, but just come on right in. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for coming. Thanks (laughs) for having me. So I, I had a friend who ended a long marriage and they afterwards found your book. And they called me and they're, they're very smart and I trust their opinion on so many things. And they said, you, you, you really, this book validated me. This is unbelievable how much this validated me. And I said, well, I'd love to check it out because it just, they were raving about it. And I wasn't going through anything of that kind that needed uh, that. However, still vindicating because it doesn't necessarily matter if it's a relationship of a romantic kind. It can be, you know, family, it can be people. So so there's a general thread here. We're talking about relationships for the most part based on your experience yourself. But I just wanted to kind of give that to the audience and let them know this is sort of we've all run into and dealt with and the, a person like this and the, the way you define it is something I am so excited to break down. So I guess to start, just tell us, wow, why'd you write a book with this title? <laughs> Yeah, didn't see that coming in my own life either. <laughs> um, I wrote it, I like your friend, it's really common to be in really long term relationships with these people. And also, like you said, it could be a coworker, you know, your boss, your friend, your sister, your brother, um, your neighbor, that they're everywhere, <laughs> all over the world. Um, for me, Yeah, like your friend, I had a very long relationship that I didn't think anything was wrong with for a very long time. In fact, we were, you know, the couple that people looked up to and, you know, friends would ask if he had a brother and I'm so lucky and I felt lucky too. Um, But then things started. Oh, gosh. Um, It ended up in divorce. Um, and it was my divorce attorney that said, uh, because things just started getting really weird and the behavior I was receiving was not what I was used to toward the end. Um, this person who I thought I knew became someone very different. And it was my divorce attorney that said, um, is your husband a narcissist? And I said, no, that's the last the last word I would use to describe him. He's really nice. Everybody loves him. You would love him. And, and she said, yeah, that's what they're like. And she said, she looked at me because she could tell I was a deer caught in headlights. And, um, she said, I suggest that when you get home, you get a hold of as much information as you possibly can on this subject, because you need to know what you're dealing with. 
And I was really confused, um, but listened to her and went to the bookstore and got all these books out on narcissism. And I was reading the traits and how people would describe narcissists. And I thought, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really match because what I was reading was like grandiose people and people with flashy cars and, you know, people who were obviously, um, annoying (laughs) and full of themselves. And I think, you know, also we tend to think of a narcissist as just someone who's selfish and takes a lot of selfies, you know, but there's so much more to it. Um, so I started doing a lot of my research and it wasn't the picture that I'd experienced, but there was enough in there from my studies that made me go, huh, well, I do see that I have felt rage from this person from years. And I do see that. And I do see this, you know, manipulation and control. And, but it was also subtle. So I kept wondering, like, am I on the right track? But I kept going. And finally, and I'm like a researcher diver, like you are. And um, so I dove into this, the more I started recognizing things. And I was a part of a coaching community. So I reached out to them. And I made an appointment with this one woman and she, I described my whole relationship, um, which was a 24 year relationship. And she said, it sounds like you're with a co or you were with a covert passive aggressive narcissist. And those are the hardest to recognize because they're so subtle and so hidden. And, um, when she said those words, it was like the final piece of the puzzle that I needed that helped everything make sense. And I also now had words to do a Google search and define it. Yeah. Um, let's dive into some of the, you know, your book was so good. I really just dove into it. So some of these subtle things that are really interesting. Um, and let's just start off with, well, you know, we'll go through, I, uh, have some questions I want to ask here, but this tenant of they can be good listeners and appear to really care. So you can be feel loved by them. But they also simultaneously make you feel terrible about yourself. And they use cloak tactics that you don't see for years. And you give an example of something as simple as, quote, forgetting water at Starbucks. Can you give that example and kind of just talk about like some of the subtleties? There are things that people may be like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's the confusing part. Because when we talk about narcissism, even, you know, narcissistic personality disorder, we think of an overt narcissist. And these are the people that will yell at you and put you down and clearly treat you badly. The, the covert will demean and devalue you in ways that it's not obvious. Like you were saying in, you know, you've been with this person for years and you go to the coffee shop and, um, you don't feel like going in and you'll say to them, Hey, do you mind getting me a water while you're in there? Um, and every time it's like, sure. And great. And then they come back and about maybe 70% of the time they're like, you're looking for your water. You're so thirsty or excited <laughs> or whatever drink you asked for. Um, and they're like, Oh, I totally forgot you know, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's okay. And you feel like you can't really be mad. It's an honest mistake. We all forget, but it happens so much. And there's so many of these things that basically give you that message that you're not worth it. And also one thing, you know, that was, um, 
one thing the coach had asked me um, is, does this person often forget when you ask, you know, hey, when you're at the store, can you pick up some apples or avocados? Um, sure. <laughs> Seven times out of 10, they come back. They're like, oh, I totally forgot. So sorry. But the thing you don't think about is they never actually go back. Like, oh my gosh, I told you I'd get you that water. I'm going to go back in there and get it. Oh, I know you asked for those apples. I totally forgot. Let me get in the car and go get those for you. Right. You know, what love really would look like. Um, so it's a lot of the, and this is also what makes it hard when people try to explain, you know, because if you were to just explain to your friends the stuff that happens, it doesn't sound that bad. Like, well, you know, maybe you're being overly sensitive or you're reading into it and right. probably didn't mean it, you know, but it's so much of these things like not showing up at the appointment when they said they'd be there or, you know, you go out to dinner and they seem excited about it and then you're there and they're grumpy and you can't figure out why. And you start reeling into like, was it something I said? Was it something I did? And you know, lots of these little things that chip away at your self-esteem. Right. And they, you mentioned that they're, you know, they are essentially, it's like covert, but they're master manipulators. They don't really have empathy, yeah. but they learned how to act that way. So again, you can feel like, well, and they often can be described as like, oh, well, but they're so nice or everyone, because they don't want to show that side of them. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, and you mentioned this and it's kind of true. It, the effects of ending a relationship with one, you said are similar to the effects of coming out of a cult. And that's how some people who've described it Two people I know who read your book came out of long relationships, uh, a couple decades and same, same story. They realized all this time there was a level of sort of abuse there that they didn't even realize and could never define, but was definitely consistent over time. And that's why they cry when they're reading and hearing about the things that you're talking about. Um, let's, I want to explore like some of the other things um, that you mentioned that are signs. Um, mm -hmm. Could you talk about these common patterns you mentioned of love bombing, devaluing and discarding? Yeah, definitely. There's three classic stages you go through with these people. And at the beginning of the relationship, whether this is, you know, as an example of someone you're dating, um, maybe she's just like, perfect. <laughs> she's everything you had hoped for in a partner. You can't believe how lucky you are, you know, and the same with, you know, he's amazing. He's so nice. Your friends love him. Um, so it's just this glorious time at the beginning where oftentimes you just feel so lucky and like, for instance, there was one woman I talked to who had a really abusive relationship that was overtly abusive, where he would yell at her um, and it was he was really cruel. So then when they broke up, she met this other guy at this spiritual retreat and he was into yoga and meditation and he listened to her feelings and he would reflect back to her what she was saying because he had learned all these techniques that feel good to someone else. He was a master manipulator, but she was so drawn to him because he was such a good listener and he would talk about his feelings and, um, and he ended up being a covert narcissist. But so that love bombing stage is like, wow, it's, it's always great at the beginning. Um, although even at the beginning, some, some people, you know, when you look back, you'll start to see certain things that, you wrote off at the time and excused. And what happens is the love bombing stage is 
so powerful because what it does is it sets you up to see this person as that original person you met for the length of the time you're with them. So that later when they start doing things that don't feel good, you know, and your gut feels it, your body feels it, but your mind goes, well, that's not who they are. You know, I, I know who they are. They're this kind person. They're just going through something or they misunderstood or, you know, um, that type of thing. So that the love bombing people can uh, underestimate how powerful that is because that's what sets you up. And like a great boss, you know, if you get hired by a company and you're so excited because this boss just he offers you the world and, and makes this job sound like your dream job and you're so excited. So then when, you know, things start happening where that are devaluing, demeaning, you also tend to think it's your fault because this guy or, or this woman is just so fantastic and everyone loves them. You know, and, and then when you complain, people are like, what are you talking about? You have the greatest boss in the world or coworker, you know, as an example. Then, um, yeah, yeah so- I want to mention too, you, you, <laughs> in, in these long-term relationships, you say the ironic thing is that the covert narcissist might initiate the end of it or so, but the survivor actually is the one who files for divorce. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the discard phase. So the, the middle one, three, three phases are love bombing and then devaluing, which happens throughout the relationship, but it's also mixed with nice things. So it's not like that's what makes it not this obvious relationship that you'd get out of. Um, and then the discard, like you said, is very different to any other type of breakup or divorce. Um, their narcissistic traits start becoming more overt. Um, you know, whereas before they never swore at you or yelled at you, this, this stuff starts happening more, um, and smear campaigns. And, um, but you're right in that a lot of times they won't actually file for divorce or end the relationship because, what Matt, this is the big difference between the covert and the overt. The covert, more than anything, cares about what other people think of them. Their reputation is everything. The overts aren't necessarily like that. Because, I mean, we've seen leaders who are like, screw you, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> and I don't care what you think. That's an overt. A covert, you'll never hear that because they really care about what people think about them. So they won't end the relationship because they don't want to look, um, be looked at as the bad guy or the woman who destroyed her family, you know, so they would rather put that on you and then milk that for all it's worth, um, that you were the one that did this and, and they become the victim. I want to ask you about, um, this sort of component of gaslighting that goes on, mm-hmm. you know, mentioned like, a you know, over the years, you know, someone like, Hey, are you okay? You seem angry. And then, you know, the, the covert narcissist would just say, no, I'm just tired, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you start to kind of wonder who to trust, like your instinct or their word. Right. And, and you you mentioned this and you, you, you say that over time, these manipulative tools sort of used to get you, the victim really of this to believe in them over your own inner guidance. And I think that that's what's so key is when people and and like you look back, right? And any of these Mm -hmm. kinds, it's like, yeah, it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Didn't feel good, didn't feel right. 
somebody didn't feel right. And it's the erosion of trust there is just, you know, um, palatable, you know? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And oftentimes when you're in a relationship with people like this, like you said, your physical body's affected um, and, and your emotional self is affected, but you don't link it to the relationship. Like you'll feel this maybe low level of sadness and depression and you'll feel tired a lot and you'll have unexplained health issues, you know, and everything seems fine. You've got this, you know, in your mind, lovely partner, and maybe you have kids and everyone's, you know, healthy and fine. And you can't figure out why you can't be happy, why you're tired all the time, why you don't feel alive, you know? Um, and, and then we tend to, um, look to other reasons like, okay, well maybe it's my diet. I'll, I'll change that. Or maybe it's my childhood wounds. I'll work on those more. And maybe I just haven't found something that fulfills me. I'll do that. You know, um, and you read a lot of self-help books and, and the whole time you don't realize that you're with an energy vampire who is draining the life out of you and you don't notice it. And so of course your body's going to be tired. Of course it's going to react, you know, an illness. Um, but it's not obvious. And a lot of times people come out of these with major health issues. Um, and then a lot of times you feel so much better once they're not in the home. Um, there's some people where their partner might travel and when they're gone, they notice how much better they feel, for instance. Oh, yeah, I definitely have heard that. And I know even that it can, from, you know, friends in these situations telling me that even a few years beyond and dealing with, let's say, a co-parent that might be one or someone that they will have to see every now and then, even though the relationship has been done, that mm -hmm. this understanding of the work that you're, you know, that you've presented is like key in helping them move through that and becoming stronger um, to, to, to avoid and to not allow it to trigger them. Um, I want to talk about one of these things is like such a classic. They sabotage birthdays, holidays, vacations, meaningful dates. They, they will, they will sabotage you. And so I've heard things from like, Oh yeah, right before I, as I was suggesting divorce, um, you know, they had to have, you know, back surgery or something, or, you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. like even that, you know, just, or like, just always something right. That happens when you're about to leave them or, or just in general, because they, when you start doing things, you, you said, when you start doing things you want to do, things that delight you, they lose control of you and then they don't have the power to keep you down. So let's get into what this looks like because this yeah. is such a one that I know a lot of people who've been with these people will resonate with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so an example of this, and they sabotage, again, in ways that you don't, it's not noticeably sabotaging. <laughs> um, like one woman I spoke with, um, her brother had passed away and it was, I think the second anniversary of his death. So of course that's really going to hit her hard. This is a really important day for her. And suddenly that day comes and her boyfriend is, becomes depressed for no reason. He's just really down. It's not doing well. <laughs> so what happens is her attention now focus is focused on him because the thing is the people that 
mostly get with covert narcissists are really kind, caring, nurturing people. And they want to help and they want to love, you know, and, and they, they love with all their heart. They're all in. And so if your partner is down and sad, of course, you're going to attend to them. Of course, you're going to spend time with them and put off your, you know, the thing that you need to be doing for her, that grieving and connecting with her brother that she so needed. And she needed her partner that day to really get that and be there for her. But instead, it became all about him. And but she didn't think, oh, he's sabotaging my day because it's like, right. you, know, you know, you can't like argue with someone feeling down. Again, you're like, I can't blame them for being depressed. Can't blame them for the honest mistake of missing the water. Like I can't kind of the yeah. same thing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's oftentimes every single time I talk to someone, I ask, how were your birthdays during this relationship? Every single time they were horrible. They were horrible. And often they can't even say why. You know, it wasn't anything glaringly bad that the other person did, but you just end up feeling like you're apologizing for something. Maybe somehow you got the message that you weren't appreciative enough. You know, and and gift giving is always about them and a, a very selfish thing. And they want you to know how much they suffered to get you this present. <laughs> um, you know, and, and maybe it could be something like they got you a present, they took you out to dinner, and then they become moody afterwards. And then you're right. like, are you okay? What's wrong? I don't know, you just didn't really seem to like the present. And I went to so much, you know, to do that. And I paid more. And then you're like, Oh, my gosh, no, you know, as you would naturally do, I loved it. So this is the part of the energy sucking thing. Is yeah, now, I, I, that is just know? so that is so um, mm, I think everyone can resonate with that if they've been in any kind of relationship with someone like this, or again, like you said, it could be a family member or a friend, but like right. I think uh, offline, I was telling you about like 20 years ago, I was with someone who, you know, in hindsight, you know, I knew they were manipulative, but the way you define it, I was like, Oh, Oh, that's who they, okay. That's the category. Of the person right, that they're right. in. And one of the things that I remember very clearly is, uh, you know, I'm an actor. He, he also was at the time. And, I had a really, really big audition, like a really massive one for like a series regular and so excited. And, but the car ride there driving me, he was moody and like, it was all me being like, what's wrong? What nothing, like just very, oh my God, the vibe was so bad and like totally kind of ruined that experience. I mean, I still did well at the thing, but it was just such an awful, like it should have been a celebratory, amazing thing. You know what I mean? Right, and there was nothing right. seemingly like really happening in his life. It's not like he could attribute and be like, I just got to call my mom died. There was nothing. There was like, it, it was. Now in hindsight, yeah. I was like 20 years ago, but in hindsight, when I was reading your book. I was like, oh, that is so, I mean, I realized that that was jealousy or intentional, whatever, but it also just is this sabotage of like something that should be you need to be encouraging. Like you need like short of someone's mom dying. Yes. You buck up and tell them later, but make the experience on the way to like Sony pictures as your girlfriend has like a huge series, regular audition. Like, are you kidding me? Like that was just, I mean, I can laugh about it now, but it was just so, Oh my God, the whole car right there and back the whole thing just, and, and I just, uh, did not see at that moment. Um, I was bummed about it. It didn't feel right, but I didn't see, 
it in the way that I look back and I go, oh my God, there it is. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I can feel people listening and like their brains are clicking away back to the concert they were so excited to go to and how moody their partner was, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. I think your most important overall point really too is like, how do you know this is going on? Because it doesn't feel right. And it's something that I call people having this false hope for a sense of consistency. A false hope for a sense of consistency. Like you said, you'll go back to something that felt right and was good in the beginning or who you think they truly are. And then they might pop up and be that person every now and then. But the overall theme doesn't feel good. Right. Right. And that's what you've got to pay attention to because it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. And the biggest thing to notice is, do you feel drained? You know, real love never drains. It gives you more life. It calls out the life in you. You know, so if you're with someone that over time, you're just exhausted and you can't figure out why. That's a big red red flag to look into. Why is that happening? You know, and, and the other thing that happens is the, the people that the, the targets, um, the people that get with covert narcissists that end up with them are also self-reflective people. And so in this world of psychology and healing, you know, we're of the thinking like I, I can't blame anyone else for my stuff. I've got to take full responsibility, which is all true. But then that quality in you gets used by the covert narcissist because they know this about you. (laughs) And so oftentimes, you know, when they can use that against you, um, you know, when they, a lot of these people will know psychology and, and will use these, this terminology against you. So that when you're trying to figure out why am I drained, why am I sad, I need to take full responsibility, we end up not looking at the person who's sleeping next to us because we don't want to blame anyone else. But that's that's a shift that I think this is causing a, a, a big awakening in people that needs to be said and needs to be pointed out that there is this darkness that no one told us about because people didn't know this really is relatively new information and even if you go to a therapist therapists aren't taught about this in school they spend a brief time learning the traits of narcissistic personality disorder but I've had a lot of therapists um, write me and thank me uh, because they've been looking for a word that they're seeing in their clients and they really wanted to help, but they didn't have the education behind it. So um, also to not be hard on yourself. A lot of people are like, why didn't I see this? Why did I stay so long? Well, because we didn't know, you know, no one told us, you know, watch out for there. Not everybody. It's not obvious with everybody. Trust yourself, yeah. trust your body. Um. You describe, you know, another kind of point that you describe about these people I thought was interesting was when someone doesn't have empathy, you say it's almost like they have this black hole and they, they as a result, can't really feel real connection or real love or the magic of a sunset. They, they kind of are in survival, like they end up feeding off of people's energy because they're devoid of it. 
Can you kind of touch on that whole rough conundrum inside their world? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I, um, one thing you notice about them that's fascinating to me is that they seem like hollow, you know, like they don't, they don't have a strong sense of self. When you look at certain people, you're like, oh, okay, I can fully see you. You know, like when I listen to you, Al, and talk to you, it's I can feel Al. <laughs> like <who she> <laughs> you're like, I know who you she know? is. She's clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's great. And, but there are certain people you're around, you're like, huh, who are you? <laughs> and they'll oftentimes. Yes, have, wait, I love that you said that because I've said that exact same thing about people in general that you meet throughout life. I've been like, they're kind of one of those people who you're like, yeah, okay, here you are. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing crazy going on, but who are you? Like you kind of yeah. can't get at it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and as a result, um, they become chameleon like, so they'll become you. And that happens in the love bombing phase too. They mirror your emotions and they become like you. Uh, and so then you can think, oh my gosh, we're so much alike. This is so easy. This is great. You know, I don't know what people are talking about. We're fighting in relationships and how relationships are hard. This is so easy. Um, so that's, they become really adept at um, becoming other people. I would imagine that would be so prevalent and fascinating too in, in the world of acting that you've been in. Um, um, I'm sure this is like the best uh, yeah. testing ground for governors. Right? I am, I, there, there, there we go, ragging on Hollywood. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and possibly. in many ways, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 it's funny. I mean, uh, obviously there are like wonderful, solid, down-to-earth people in this town. Right. Um, including, I'm, I would include myself as one of them, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's it could be a little bit more prevalent. The the one thing about the industry, just side note there, is that it's limited to basically Hollywood and maybe like another place in the world, like New York. Or like It's limited to here. So mm-hmm. it does breed a certain personality of yes men and people who, well, you're not maybe going to speak up in the way you normally would in life because that person could hire you next week. So it kind of can put people who are already people pleasery type of, you know, uh, people who aren't straight up and authentic in a world where that kind of serves them or can. So you know what I mean? Versus any other industry um, anywhere else. And so like, for example, like if you're in, you know, like whatever, downtown Chicago or something, and there's a waiter sitting next to like a billionaire CEO or something. It's kind of like classic Chicago Midwest people. They treat each other equally. No one's kissing anyone's ass. Uh-huh. Um, but that kind of this town, I think breathes a little bit of that. So it, it's um, right. So there's a lot of fakeness as people say, uh, but you know, you see it and you avoid it, right? You just pass by those people and let them do their thing with their people. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing to learn because, you know, as I learn more about this, I I have become very compassionate towards them. Um, But I now know I'm worthy of boundaries. (laughs) You know, you can be compassionate towards someone and not have to help them because a narcissist until they, you know, they do rarely change historically, not that it's impossible, um, but usually because they don't see they have a problem because it's usually everyone else's problem. Um, but ultimately it does come down to, you know, wounding and your soul identity and how much you're 
feeling free to be yourself, you know, like you were talking about in Hollywood and how that, that would breed that. And it would make it very difficult to, to be your full self, you know, when you're a constant, when, when you have that attitude, this is going to affect jobs I'm going to get. I feel for that. I really have a lot of empathy for that because I think when, especially when you're famous, it would take a tremendous amount of, of strength and courage to really be your full self. Yeah. And even when I guess you're not, well, what I found though, is that over time, <laughs> the opposite is kind of true. People actually really prefer mm. the straightforwardness that I have naturally. Um, it, because it is different. Because see, even, it's almost like, like a bully will actually a bully would actually have some respect when someone calls them out, even though they wouldn't voice it. Da da da. But there's some part of them that's like, damn, you know what I mean? There's some mm -hmm. respect. So it's kind of like this opposite world. So I found that it was actually just better to be <laughs> authentic, as people thought it was so refreshing. And I was like, I'm just being me, you know. But anyway, back to the non-authentic. Uh, CNs for these covert narcissists. Mm -hmm. There's so many like interesting. Um, God, there's, there's so much. There's so much in this book um, because again, it's like you say they they can appear loving and innocent about things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you you talked about. I want to read a few of these uh, uh, quotes from people. Um, one said, "You know, I felt insecure." Um, or I didn't feel free to be myself like all of me, um, you know, or I felt like they were interesting and I wasn't. Um, just throwing out a few things from your book that people have expressed the way that they felt around these people. Um, and you talk about, you know, this is essentially an illusion and a story and an illusion that you are with not real love. Let's talk about this illusion even more. Yeah, and that's so hard to wrap your head around. That's where the cognitive dissonance comes in because you've believed for so long, you've believed in something that that honestly doesn't exist. Um, and oftentimes, you know, at the beginning, when you're so excited about this friendship or relationship, you the other person is mirroring that back to you too, and you're believing that they're in it just as much as you are that you're, they're madly in love with you just as much as you're madly in love with them or, you know, or, or a friendship or a co-working thing that you're both excited about each other. But when you look back on it, you're probably a person that's full of life and the life and the love in the relationship actually came from you. You know, and we tend to think it was a two-way thing. But when you really look back at it, did you really feel that person just lighting up when you were in the room? You know, did you feel that consistency? And oftentimes, we can write stuff off like, oh, every relationship goes through valleys and that's the honeymoon stage and you know, not, and um, that can't, you can't sustain that. And I think you can. Yeah, that I, I, yeah, absolutely. I guess that just goes to the whole relationships don't have to be a struggle and they shouldn't be not that there isn't yes. struggle within them, but it should be swift, workable and not from the beginning. And also definitely not just in general, a struggle where the majority of the time or even 50, 50, you're in a general malaise about 
who you're with. You know, it doesn't feel right. And it is a lot of excuses and false reasoning. Um, and it's tough. It's tough. It, and I know it, it feels like a, you feel like almost trapped. Um, but you know, that's the thing. That's the work that they do subtly in a way is that you've kind of been devalued over time without even realizing it, that you have accepted a level. And that's why you feel so free when you're, when you're out of it, when you're out of it, you know what I mean? And yeah, they should be easy. I think you made a good point too, about the love bombing where, when it's like so over the top in a way, right out of the gate, like usually, you know, if someone really cares about themselves and loves themselves, they're going to take their time. They're, you know, they're, they're going to have a level of pacing and time and a, a discernment and assessing and just truly like honestly getting to know a person versus mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you're the one, <laughs> you know, right. And, <laughs> and a lot of dating coaches will say that. Those was like, hey, if someone's love bombing and they're like, right, you know, it, they fizzle out after a month or six weeks or when you catch on to their game or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so that's something to be weary of is, is what feels like instant chemistry and amazing. We're right in this can sometimes, sometimes not always, but sometimes be this, be in a way a setup you don't even see that's there. And so I guess it's a good indicator too, to just dial back and go, Hey, let me suss this out a bit more and maybe take a different pacing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And I and I should say to clarify too cuz I've had some people tell me, "Well, I wasn't love bombed. He was really subtle about it." But then the more I spoke to them, I what I'm seeing is that for some people it is like, "Wow, you know, flowers and champagne and dates and, you know." And then for other people, it's more subtle because they covert narcissists are really good at assessing what you like and what will affect you. And so if you're someone who love bombing would turn you away, they're not going to do that. They're going to become that person that's maybe, you know, plays with you a bit, like as a little aloof sometimes, and then, you know, really loving and, and maybe there's something in you that's like more drawn and trusting of that. So sometimes love bombing can look like that. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of working what your love bombing would look like isn't what everybody's love, love bombing would look like. Yeah. Mirroring, like you said, a chameleon, um, Mm -hmm. really. And a lot of that, you know, you see over time is words. (laughs) Um, Yes. And that's, that's the huge thing to look for too. Do words match the actions? Do the actions match the words? Because that, that's the key proof. (laughs) You know, if this is real love, the actions will match the words. Yeah, absolutely. Let's actually sort of edge over here for a minute, which is let's talk about the traits you listed of real love, Mm. you know, because that's really important. And several of these are some variations of they really encourage and believe in you. You know, they support you in your endeavors. Can you go through some of these so that, you know, people out there can hear what traits of real love are? Yeah, this is so important, like you said, because oftentimes we get in relationships like these because we experienced it somewhere in our childhood. Um, And even if it wasn't obvious in our childhood, 
And maybe it was, there's a spectrum of narcissism and you can have someone who has these traits, but is lower on the spectrum. And then some that are really high and somewhere in between. Um, so you, there's something that usually you experienced in your childhood. So that perfectly set you up for these relationships because that was your normal. That's what you learned. And so part of healing is relearning what love actually looks like. And I mean, I would say one thing that to notice is you with pure love of the highest form, you always, 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 always <laughs> feel free to be your full self. And yes. you feel like yes. your full self is enjoyed and liked and wanted by that person. And, um, you know, I've, I, when I was going through the most confusing part, you doubt yourself a lot and you almost like you, you can't even get a hold of who you are, you know, because they're hurling all these things about you. You know, you're manipulative and you're controlling and you're this and you're that, which most of the time it's a projection of what's true about them. Um, but because we're such self-reflecting people, we're like, I need to look at myself. Maybe I am controlling and I'm not seeing it. Maybe I am manipulative, you know? Um, and so it helped me to have those constants in my life, those people who had constantly loved me. And I always come back to my best friend, Liz, who I met in the sixth grade, <laughs> who I love with all my heart. And it helped me to use her as a reference in my mind. Have I ever felt confused around Liz? Never, not once, you know? Have I ever felt judged by Liz? Never. Do I, oh, do I feel like I need to hide certain things about myself with Liz? Never, ever, ever, ever. You know, so these are some things to look for. And, and I think what happens is when we're raised with this type of behavior, narcissistic behavior, we also get the message that we're not worthy. Not only do we not know what love is supposed to look like, but we're not worthy of it, you know, and that takes time and healing and reprogramming our brains into knowing and believing that we are absolutely every single one of us is worthy of love and peace and kindness and respect. It's our birthright. There's nothing we have to do to earn this. This should be it. This is our natural state, you know, and we've gone away from it. So yeah, someone who love doesn't judge, love, you know, accepts you and loves you and cherishes you. And you always feel the freedom to be yourself. That is just so important, because that is the ultimate element being completely your unedited, unedited you in front of whoever this is. And yeah. like you said, I have so many friends I was thinking about as you were talking about Liz um, that I've had for years where it's just, um, wow, the, the all of those things, absolutely true. And it's not a struggle and there aren't weird passive aggressive moments and not sure where they stand or, you know, I'm walking around eggshells on them or they're moody with me. Like that shit doesn't happen when you are hanging out with the right tribe and the right people. Right, exactly. 
Tell us, um, so, so good for people to know your book is so well done and so vindicating for so many people who've gone through this or just have, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, a romantic relationship or not. Um, and it helps you to sort of start to identify that in others, which I think is really important because we need to avoid these people, correct? <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. And and I think the biggest lesson out of these relationships is to trust your body, to trust that feeling when you're and, and to even start playing with it when you're around people in public to just start noticing how does my stomach feel when I sit next to this person? You know, how does my head feel? What do I notice about myself? Because our our bodies are our greatest, most accurate barometer that exists. I mean, according to what I've discovered or just, you know, observed in life. Um, And that's the big thing because we we lose that when we're with narcissistic people. We question that all the time and our mind rationalizes behavior. And that's our body is our compass and it's our our spine, our um grounding force. Yeah. And people will, yeah, they'll spin their wheels, try and do self-correct or look at where they need to be quote, less offended or affected by someone else's behavior and start to go down, like you said, open to spiritual and self-examination path. But then, nope, turns out it's just that person. <laughs> That's who it is. It doesn't feel right. It, it doesn't ever consistently feel good. And Um, It's important that we get out of these relationships, avoid them, or know how to navigate and deal with them. If it's something we, we have to put up with to some degree, if it's some family member once a year or whatever it is. Um, But it's so important to understand from a standpoint of being the victim of it too. Um, Tell us where we can find your book and how we can work with you. If you at all do work with people one-on-one or in group sessions to be able to move past this and get a handle on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can find my book um, on Amazon. And um, you should be able to order it through libraries and bookstores too, but for sure Amazon. Um, You can find me and more, uh, uh, or me and more, you can find me on my website, debbiemirza.com. And I do have other resources like online courses um, to help with healing and, and one about how to parent, you know, when you're uh, X is a covert narcissist and some guided meditations I've created right now. I have been coaching right now. I'm not taking any new clients, but that's just for a brief time. I actually working on my next book that I'm really excited. That's really going to help people with the whole healing process. And, and what do you do, you know, after you've gotten out of these relationships um, so that should come out this year. So I'm taking a little hiatus from coaching. Um, but if you, but keep checking back because once the manuscript's, manuscript's done and it's to the editor, I'll start coaching again. I enjoy that. We will put everything in the show notes, but I'll spell it out as D E B B I E M as in Mary, I R Z A.com. And the book is the covert passive aggressive narcissist. Uh, such good stuff. Thank you so much for doing your work and really calling this out and being able to define a particular area of human psychology that no one ever really completely put their, their finger on. And it's, it's just, it's so good. 
Oh, thank you so much, Elle. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm so happy to just have more people learn about this because it's going to free so many people and validate so much confusion and, and help heal. So that thrills me to no end that it's out there doing that. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, we will see you next week on the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered with our no dairy vodka sauce made from avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options, from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.